Have a seat. Um, so we're still in the book of Philippians. So if you want to take your Bible and go to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to put a, a slide on the screen that has a saying that uh, probably everybody has heard. Uh, this is one of these uh, common cliches that uh, I think there's probably a lot of truth to it. But uh, you ever heard this, that uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Uh, everybody's heard that before, and uh, there's a lot of truth in it, and we're going to maybe take it a little bit farther uh, today, but uh, I think the thing is, though, we know that, but it's hard to do, right? It's easy to get distracted, um, and I guess I've always thought for me something that was a strength is like uh, I can concentrate and, and focus and, uh, and, and block things out. Uh, something that confuses uh, people about me is like if I'm in my office working, usually I have music on. And some people are like, how can you like, do anything with music? It's just kind of like it's background noise. But I don't know. I, think I, is I, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what. But maybe I think sometimes, uh, I don't know if I'm getting ADD or something in my old age. I mean, uh, the, the, the elders were meeting with uh, somebody this past week. And during part of the meeting, honestly, I was kind of bored with the meeting. Uh, so I don't know if I should say that or not, but uh, pastors get bored with church meetings sometimes, uh, sometimes too. But I mean, probably the biggest reason was 90% of it I already knew is kind of for the other elders' benefit. So I'm sitting there, like at one point in the meeting, I'm texting snarky texts to, uh, to Rusty. And then um, at, at, at one point, I look over and I see something yellow on the wall in the multi-purpose room, and I'm like, Rusty, did you get mustard on the, on the wall in here? And I don't know where my brain was, but then Wednesday night in men's leadership training, uh, I'm, I'm talking, and like mid-sentence, I notice one of the lights out, is out in there, and just mid-sentence, I start talking about the light being out, like I interrupt myself. I mean, uh, you know, I just lost focus. Uh, I, was dis- I was easily distracted, and uh, I guess maybe that's funny, but you know, sometimes it's, it's dangerous. Um, CBS News uh, did a report, uh, I don't know, a few years ago that said about 58% of moderate to severe car crashes among teenage drivers are caused by distracted driving. And so sometimes being distracted can be dangerous. And I think spiritually... It's dangerous to be distracted, and we're easily distracted, right? I mean, when it comes to our spiritual lives, I mean, all the time I think we're like, squirrel, look look over here, you know, uh, what's happening here? I mean, we get distracted sometimes just with busyness. Um, you know, we can get distracted from Jesus. I've done this before. It's easy to do as a pastor in ministry, you can get distracted spiritually. You can get distracted from Jesus with theology. I mean, theology is a good thing. It's foundational to our lives. But, I mean, we can get so caught up in theology that we're kind of missing the point that it's ultimately about Jesus. I'm talking about, you know, just kind of abstract kind of things. We, we can get distracted with worldly things. Uh, I mean, we can get distracted with good things that take us away from the best thing. We can be distracted by trials. We can be distracted by sin. But really what I want us to think about today 
is, you know, what is the main thing, but really beyond the, the main thing, really what we're going to see in this passage is it calls it the one thing in the Christian life. And, and so, what's the target? What's the goal? What's the focus? What's the, tar- what's the bullseye, so to speak? Now, what we don't want to be like, if you can uh, hopefully read this little cartoon, I mean, you, you see the, the, the bow and arrow here, and it says it's easy. First, you shoot the arrow, and then you just take your paintbrush, and, <laughs> and, and, and I think that's how we live our lives a lot of time. We don't have a focus, a goal, a, a target, a passion, and so it's just kind of like, you know, just draw the bullseye wherever it lands. Uh, there's an old Roman proverb that says, when you don't know where you're going, any old wind will do. So, so what's our focus? What's the actual bullseye of the Christian life? And really, the, the big idea, what we're going to, uh, I hope, see and, and learn from this text today is that the one thing, the main thing, the big thing for a Christian is the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. The one thing for a Christian is the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. Now, you know, this isn't the text in Philippians we're going to focus on, but Romans 8, 29, I think, just to kind of set this up, says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So if you want to know what the the bullseye, the target, is God's target for our lives, it says he pre- he's predestined us that we be conformed to the image of his son. That's ultimately why he saved us, to make us like Jesus Christ. Now, you may say, hang on just a minute. Aren't there a lot of commands in the Bible? Aren't there a lot of things that God wants us to do? And that would be correct. But all of those are rolled into this one thing of becoming like Jesus. I mean, you think about marriage. The Bible tells me as a husband that I'm to love my wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, You know, when I love God, I'm becoming like Jesus. When I love you, I'm being like uh, Jesus. When I share the gospel with someone, I'm being like uh, Jesus. When I serve someone and meet someone's need, I'm being like Jesus. And I could go on and on and on. And so there may be different ways that we do it, but the goal, the bullseye, the target is actually being like Jesus. Now, one other verse, and then we'll dig into the passage that we're going to uh, focus on today. It's actually two verses. It's, we've already looked at these in Philippians, but I, I think you could almost look at the passage we're in today. I don't know if this was what was in Paul's mind, but it, but it almost seems like he's further developing the thought that he shared in Philippians 2, 12, and 13 in, in this passage uh, that we're looking at today. And he says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so when we talked about this, we talked about we have to work out, not work for, work out our salvation. There's, it takes some effort on our part 
to grow spiritually, but it's ultimately God working in us that enables all of this to happen. And so, as we look at this passage, keep that in mind. Also, keep in mind the fact, and, and, and I'll kind of relate it to this because this is what Paul uh, is doing, that he is using the analogy of athletics here. Probably track and field, you know, their, their games could be even chariot races. But, you know, when you think about an athlete, for an athlete to succeed, it takes both God-given talent... And it takes a lot of effort, discipline, training, uh, th- those kind of things. Um, I, you know, I, I can't believe I'm using a Tom Brady analogy because I've never been a fan. But uh, Philip will have revival this morning. But, uh, I mean, you got to respect the guy. I mean, he's like 43, still playing in the NFL. I mean, that's nuts. I, I mean, uh, you know... Those of us that grew up playing sports that are 40-plus now still hurt from stuff we did when we were in high school. I mean, how are you 43 and playing in the NFL? You know, won seven championships. But Tom Brady says, you know, that when he, when he was 25, he was like in pain all the time. He didn't think his career would last that long. Now he hardly ever hurts other than just kind of some normal soreness. But he completely uh, changed his life where he says he goes to bed like at 9 o'clock, drinks huge amounts of water, has this crazy, freaky, health nut kind of uh, diet, and does all of this training. And, and that is what is, has enabled him you know, to accomplish his goal of being able to play in the NFL until he's at least 45, win all these championships. He's pursued uh, th- this passion. And kind of the idea here would be, you know, if our goal, our passion, our one thing, the main thing for us as Christians, is to become more like Jesus, what are we willing to do? What sacrifices are we willing to make? How are we willing to spiritually train in order to be able to accomplish that goal? So, if we're going to succeed in making our one thing, becoming more like Jesus, if we're going to make progress in becoming more like Jesus, how are we going to do that? Well, There's really uh, five ways that uh, we can do that that I think our text shows us. And we'll try to point those out to us this morning. And so, uh, first of all, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11, which was where we were last week. But I think these two passages really bridge together here. So, we can make progress, number one, by understanding how Jesus works in us. We can make progress by understanding how Jesus works in us. We always need to start with what he does in us and for us and through us before we look at what we need to do in response. And so here's what the text says, starting in verse 7. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things for the loss, uh, uh, all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And this knowledge he's talking about is he's talking about having a personal relationship with Christ, actually knowing uh, Jesus. And he says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may uh, gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, 
I, I said last week that when you look at this passage, it's about salvation. But the Bible teaches us there's three aspects of salvation, and, and, and you see this all wrapped up in, in this chapter. There's justification that we talked about last week, there's sanctification, and then there's glorification. The glorification would be attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is what we'll look at next week, but it's when we go to heaven and, and we're perfected. We're forever removed from the very presence of sin, and there's no more sickness or sorrow or suffering or, or death. We receive a new resurrection body remade in the likeness of, of Jesus Christ. So that's the future. Uh, the, the, the past is uh, justification when God declares us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, what we talked about last week. In between, there's sanctification, which is the idea uh, of, of spiritual growth. And, and so it's God working in us in all uh, of, of these things. Aaron, could you put up the slide that shows the, those three things? Okay, so uh, justification is past tense. Like, when you got saved... You were immediately saved from the penalty of sin. Or if you're not a Christian, what happens at the moment you trust Christ is God declares you righteous. The righteousness of Christ, like we talked about last week, is imputed to you. It's placed uh, to your account. When God sees you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees you in Christ, and he sees you covered, clothed in the righteousness uh, of Jesus. Where your sin has been transferred to Christ, his righteousness has been transferred to you, and, and that's how God sees you. And, and, and that's why instantaneously we can be forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future. And, and God uh, doesn't hold them against us anymore, that we're perfected by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the past tense. Again, the future tense, glorification is saved ultimately from sin's presence. But right now in the middle is sanctification. We're sanctified, we're set apart unto God, but sanctification is progressive. We're being progressively delivered from the power of sin in our lives. This is the work of Christ in us to justify us, sanctify us, and to glorify us. And if you're really saved, he's going to do all three of those things. You see, um, we're saved, again, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's going to happen completely, perfectly, permanently in heaven in glorification. But the point of our life right now is to become more and more like him until we actually go to heaven. That's the point of all this. And so practically, you may be like, well, you know, what are you throwing out all these big theological words for? What does it mean uh, practically? Here, here, here's, here's some of the ramifications of this. Since we're justified and guaranteed to be glorified, I mean, when, when you go through this progression, like if you went on into Romans 8.30, the, the way that it, the tense in the Greek means it's already as good as done. It means that you're eternally secure. This is why you cannot lose your salvation because you're justified and you're as good as glorified. And so uh, that means that we don't have to live in guilt or condemnation uh, because you know, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've been declared righteous in the sight of God. But it, it means also that we don't have to sit around worrying about uh, whether or not God is going to uh, accept us or whether or not we're going to make it to heaven or not. If we're in Christ, we will be uh, glorified. Listen, if you think you can lose your salvation, you don't understand the grace of God. That's the root of that. 
Because it's all by grace, it's all what he's done. If, if we uh, didn't do it to start with, what we do or don't do can't cause us uh, to lose it. Now the fact that I'm not glorified yet, though, means some things. It means one thing is that we don't have heaven on earth. So we still live in a fallen world and fallen bodies and still have a sin nature. We've not arrived yet, and so we're going to blow it sometimes. But we're justified, so God is not going to reject us. We're his children, so we can confess that and get back up and keep going and keep moving forward, knowing that we're accepted in Jesus Christ. Part of the reason that we know that the prosperity gospel is a lie is because we're not glorified yet. We're not having heaven on earth. We won't have heaven till we get to heaven. We still live in a fallen world. There's still going to be trials and sorrow and sickness and death in a fallen world. We need to keep these things uh, separate. But this also means that if we're in Christ and we're being sanctified, that we can't actually be happy in our sin. That if we're in Christ, we're going to be convicted of our sin. And we're not ultimately ongoing, going to enjoy our sin. We may in the short term, but there's going to be that convicting of the Holy Spirit there. When you put all this together, I think it means what he said in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we're justified, sanctified, glorified. We can live the Christian life because of the work of Christ in us, not on our own. And so if we look back at these verses specifically, what we see is this. We see that we're in union with Jesus. Uh, Verse 9 says, it uses this phrase, be found in him. And in him, in Christ, is one of the most important phrases in the Bible. We're connected to him. We're in union with him. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 1, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, which means that we have everything that we need in Christ to do everything that God wants us to do and to be everything that God wants us to be as long as we, the branches, stay connected with the vine, as long as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, Christ's power and Christ's authority and Christ's provision is going to be manifest in our lives. So again, we don't have to try to live the Christian life on our own. It's Christ in us. We see also in verse 9, we're justified by Jesus, being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in uh, Christ, the righteousness uh, which is from God by faith. So again, Uh, You can live the Christian life not in guilt, in in shame, not uh, with your head down, but looking up to your heavenly Father, knowing that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you're accepted uh, by him in Christ, and you can come to him anytime, and he loves you, and he's with you, and he's for you. You're his child. He sees you that way, and it's not based on our performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus and what he's already done for us. And then we also see in verse 10 that we are experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And Paul makes it clear through his writings that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. Again, 
This resurrection power is what brought us from death to life. The only way we're saved is because God regenerated our hearts. He made us alive. And now uh, we live in Christ and Christ lives in us. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we can live out of this power. Listen, if the resurrection power of Jesus is in us, what kind of excuses do we have? I'm not saying we don't blow it, but, I mean, what kind of excuses do we have? It's why the Bible says, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And so, again, the question is, are we trying to live in our own power? Are we living the power of Christ in us? And so, this is what Jesus has done for us. And so, before we move on, I just say this. Again, if you're a Christian, are you trying to live the, the Christian life out of your own self-effort? Or relying on Jesus in you and what he's done for you? That's one question. But then I think a second important question would be, is have you experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life, forgiving you of your sins and moving you from death to life? Have you been justified? Or have you placed your faith in Jesus and been declared righteous in his sight? Could you, can you, stand, uh, could you stand before God with confidence? Not, not confidence in yourself, but what we talked about last week, confidence fully in Christ and knowing that you're accepted by God because you're trusting in Jesus. But let's, kinda, let's move on to, to verses 12 through 16 and then kind of look at our side. You know, what, what do we do? Remember, God works in us, but work out our salvation. So if we're going to make progress, becoming like Jesus, what do we do? Well, we can make progress by being dissatisfied with their current spiritual state. We can make progress by being dissatisfied with their current spiritual state. Look at what he says in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I've already attained. And that goes back to verse 11. Remember what he said there? His hope was to attain to the resurrection of the dead. But he's saying, I'm not there yet. To use kind of the rubric we used before, I've been justified, and I want to be glorified, I want to be in heaven, but I'm not there yet, I'm just now in this state of being sanctified. He said, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of, of me. And so, uh, he, he says, basically... To be dissatisfied with where we are, and let's be honest, isn't being dissatisfied the key to change? I mean, as, as long as we're satisfied with where we are, nothing's really going to change. Um, I, I think, Lori, Dr. Arwood, our, our counselor, is a great counselor. You go see her a hundred times, and as long as you're satisfied with where you are, the only thing you're going to help is her bank account. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to help you one bit. I mean, as long as we're satisfied with our marriage, where it is, we're not going to make any progress in improving our marriage. I mean, as long as we're satisfied with our physical condition, we're not going to make any changes to improve our, our, our uh, physical condition. And as long as we're, we're satisfied with where we are spiritually, we're not going to do what we need to do 
to become more like Christ. So, you know, if, if we're satisfied with just coming to church every once in a while, then we're not going to make any progress. I mean, we have to get to the place where we want more. I want to know Jesus better. I want to be more fruitful. I want to honor him where, you know, I, I'm willing to spend more time in prayer and, and in Bible study or willing to serve more or willing to plug into a small group or whatever it may be. But as long as I am satisfied with my current spiritual state, there's not a whole lot that's going to happen to improve my current spiritual state. Except this is what might happen. And this is maybe what some of you are experiencing without even realizing it. Is that God says that those he loves, those who are his children, he disciplines. And what I found as a Christian is God doesn't let me stay satisfied for too long. And you may be going through some things right now that you're whining and complaining about because we all tend to do that when things aren't where they, we want them to be. I'm not saying for sure this is what's happening. There's different reasons we go through trials and difficult times. But I am saying that sometimes we're going through difficult times because God's trying to get our attention and maybe we're not listening there may be sin in our lives. Maybe it's just apathy in our lives. You know, it may just be that because he loves us, he's got something more for us. But we're just not listening to him. We're missing out on it. And so could it be that he's working in your life in a way to try to move you just out of an apathetic, satisfied state because he's got more for you? As long as we're satisfied, we're not going to make progress. But number three, we can make progress by being passionately devoted to the pursuit of knowing and being like Jesus. I believe that spiritual growth, progress in Christ-likeness, is always going to be intentional and not accidental. I mean, look at what Paul says here. Look at some of the language that he uses in verse 12 again. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. I press on. I pursue. The picture is of a runner just you know, flying down the track, giving full effort. I think if we go, yeah, this picture, I mean, you know, Usain Bolt, however many gold medals that he won, and you know, just all the effort that it took to get there, but just you know, straining for the finish line. Uh, that's the word picture, really, that, that he's using in, in, in these verses. So he, he says uh, that, that I, I pursue this, I press on. He says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also ha has laid uh, hold of me. In other words, well, the word picture here is like, you know, if you play football, you're, you're taught when you tackle to hit, wrap up, take him down. Right? Hit, wrap up, take them. That's kind of the word picture here. Hit, wrap up, take them down. Grab a hold of, uh, take them down. Uh, literally, the, 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 the Greek word is attain uh, down. It's, to grab hold. it's like Jesus has grabbed hold of us. 
He's holding on to us, and now he's saying we're to hold on to him in the same kind of way. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press, there's that word again, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So, these verses, again, this athletic analogy, would speak of intentional, disciplined, focused, passionate pursuit and effort. And so, you know, with anything, I think we get out of it what we put into it. So what are we putting into our spiritual lives, our spiritual growth? What are we putting into becoming more like Jesus? I mean, you know, probably all of us or most of us, if we're believers, you know, if, if, if I ask the question, we give the churchy answer and we say, yeah, this is my priority. But if we looked at our calendars and our schedules and just walked through our lives day to day, would how we're spending our time actually say it's our priority? For some people, it would be yes. Some people will be no. Maybe for some of us it would be part of the time, you know, because we can all be up and down with this. But, you know, an athlete can't be like, <laughs> part of the time I'm serious about this and part of the time I'm not serious about this and really succeed. And again, discipline, focused effort. It takes discipline, focused, intentional effort in our spiritual lives. And, and, and I think we know that in every other area of life, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, Rusty R was one of our elders. Uh, he was a two-time small college All-American basketball player. Now, if I tell you that, there's nobody that's going to think, he just decided to, one day when he was in college to start playing basketball, and he got really good at it by doing that. Now, that had been his passion since he was a kid, I can attest to that from many midnight basketball games at, at his house growing up. Um, like somebody like Brett or Shane that plays three or more musical instruments. I don't think anybody's going to think, well, they just woke up and started doing that one day. Right? Lori didn't get a Ph.D. in counseling just by, you know, doing a mail order thing one day. We know life doesn't work that way. Why do we act like our spiritual life doesn't work that way? You know, why do we act like, oh, I'm, you know, I went to church this week, and I'm going to church next week, and I hadn't done anything in between, but, you know, why am I struggling so much spiritually? I mean, it doesn't add up. It takes discipline, passionate pursuit. But number four, Paul tells us here that we can make progress by being focused on moving forward and leaving behind what is in the past. Now, some of you need to hear this today. Because some of you are stuck spiritually because you're stuck in the past. Look again at what he says. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing, one thing I do. That's where the, the big idea came from. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forward to the, those things which are ahead. So this would be the idea. That 
if you're justified, if all of your sins are under the blood of Christ, if God sees you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and if, if, if that's how he sees your past, and if your future is you're guaranteed to go into heaven and be made like Jesus and be in his presence forever, if that's your future, in the present, why would we not run looking forward with our eyes on the prize instead of looking back to who we were that we're not anymore? I mean, you ever like been walking and you look back and you like ran into a door or a wall or something like that? It's kind of dangerous to walk while looking backwards. There's, there's a famous thing in sports history, uh, th- this photo. You see uh, the, the runner on uh, the, the, the right, if you're facing it, kind of looking back. He was looking for the other guy. I guess didn't realize he was coming up over the other shoulder. But uh, the, the, the guy that's passing him on the right is Roger Bannister. The other guy's name is John Landy. This was back in 1954. It was a huge deal because these were the first two guys to run, to run sub-four-minute miles. Now, we, we have some runners at, at, at True Life. I can't imagine running a sub-four-minute mile. Uh, and, but, you know, today, like the world record in the marathon is like two hours and one minute, which would be running 26 miles under a five-mile-a-minute pace, which is like the most insane thing in the world to me. I mean, I just can't imagine that. But, I mean, you know, this was, uh, I guess, almost 70 years ago, and it was like just a huge thing that somebody broke that four-minute mile barrier. You got two guys, and, and they're racing, and it's like a big thing. I mean, you see all the, the crowd back there. And this guy lost the race in part because he looked behind him. And so are we losing the race because we're looking behind us? We're looking back to the past instead of looking up and looking ahead and, and, and remembering who Jesus is and, and, and what he's done for us. Some of you need to forget your old life. Some of you need to forget sins that you're forgiven of, that you've repented of, but Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is still accusing you, but Scripture says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Sometimes we need to forget things that other people have done to us, not forgetting that they happen, but forgetting the sense biblical forgiveness is not forgetting that something happened, it's choosing to not hold it against someone anymore. Because bitterness is a root uh, that, that defiles us. Maybe some of us, uh, you know, some of what Paul talked about leaving behind in this passage wasn't bad things, it was good things, but it was good things that were keeping him from God. He had to forget uh, his religious accomplishments from the past. Uh, he's saying, you know, leave your old life behind because your old life is gone. You're a new person in Christ now. Identify with him. Walk in the newness of life. Look ahead. Don't live in, in, in the past. And, you know, if there's something in your past that is just really weighing you down, it might be a good application for you from this message today would be to contact Lori and make an appointment and deal with that. So if we're, if we're going to move forward, we've got to be looking forward. But then look at one last thing here in verses 15 and 16. He tells us, you know, this, this has been very personal. I mean, you notice how many times Paul uses the personal pronoun I in verses 12 through 14? So there's a personal responsibility here. 
But I, I want us to see that there's also a corporate responsibility. That's what verses 15 and 16 talk about. He says we can make progress by accepting our corporate responsibility to pursue Christ-likeness together. This is part of what it means to be the church. This is part of the point of the church. Look at what he says in, in, in verse 15. Look, look, at the, look at the switch here. He's been saying, I, 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 I. Now he says, therefore, let us. As many as are mature have this mind, and if, anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And so, in essence, what he's saying in those two verses, I think, is that we are to pursue Christ-likeness together under the authority of Scripture. And he's saying there's an accountability here that our rule of life is the Word of God. I mean, the point of the New Testament, what it teaches us, is this is the apostolic witness to Jesus Christ preserved for the church for all ages. And so when we talk about being a biblical church, what that means is, is that we are seeking to live out what Scripture, uh, what the New Testament teaches us uh, about living the Christian life, about being the church, that we're to do that together, and that when the Bible speaks, God speaks, and when, uh, basically, if someone is preaching Scripture, expounding Scripture accurately, it would be the same thing as if like Peter, Paul, one of the apostles was here saying, church, this is what you need to do under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, as long as someone's preaching that accurately, you know, it, because if someone's preaching it accurately, it means we're saying the same thing that Paul or whoever said, which means that we're saying what God said because it was the Spirit who led them. So this means there's an accountability to Scripture together. So we're to call each other, to encourage each other, to spur one another on to seeking Christ and to pursuing obedience, to pursuing good works, those kind of things. The Christian life is not an individualistic thing. It's a corporate thing. But then we're also called to encouragement, to bear one another's burdens, to support each other, to help each other, to pick each other up. Uh, when, we, when we fall down, us together, there's a corporate responsibility for this. And so, I think what all of this then means to us is one thing. Not 43 things, one thing. To pursue Jesus and to pursue becoming like Him. And then these other things in the Christian life will flow and grow out of that. The main things, to keep the main thing, the main thing. This is the main thing. This one thing I do. Forgetting what's behind. Pursuing what's ahead. I press forward for the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Is that the focus, the priority of our lives? So, Maybe, maybe we need to deal with something in the past. Maybe we need to stop looking back. Maybe we need to make a commitment 
to put the time, the effort into spiritual growth, to make this a priority, to reorder some things in our lives, to uh, have time with Jesus in prayer and in, in, in Bible study. Maybe you need to download version on your phone and find a Bible reading plan, something like that. Maybe some of you, the next step for you would be to plug into a small group. So you're not trying to do it on your own. So there is accountability. So there is encouragement because we're supposed to pursue this together. Maybe there's a sin we need to repent of. Maybe there's a step of obedience we need to take. Maybe some of you need to take the step of baptism. And again, for some people, maybe the step is take that first step of to place your faith, your confidence, not in yourself, but in Christ. And what he's done for you. Stop trying to earn righteousness. But receive as a gift the righteousness of Christ. Who lived the perfect sinless life that we failed to live. And died on the cross atoning for our sins. Rising from the dead to give us new life. Are you trusting him? Are you trusting yourself? So if we could let's bow our heads and, and, and close our eyes.